So, um, gonna, it'll be a little different tonight. We're gonna we're gonna have to end slightly early, like about ten of nine, because we kind of have to move a lot of the stuff that's behind the blue curtain back into the room, and the the contractors and the construct the carpenters are gonna arrive shortly after nine to work for a while into the night. It's kind of cool though, isn't it? You know, sort of. We just realized we should have holes in there so you can see what's going on. <laughs> but the wall that was here is now gone. And there's a new wall that's going up. And uh, it's going to make a much nicer meditation hall, actually. Um, so you have something to look forward to in a few weeks. Um, so we'll, we'll sit for about 45 minutes or so and then just take a stretch and social break. And then uh, at 8, Brian... Uh, it's going to come in, and we're both going to do inquiry for as long as inquiry holds us, and then maybe we'll sit a bit more at the end. So we're just going to wait a few minutes uh, for the other group to join us. But in the meantime, thank you for your cooperation in moving the chairs. Um, <coughs> for those of you that got here late, actually I realized I forgot to introduce myself. Those of you that were expecting Gina, she's a little under the weather. Um, I'm John Aaron, one of the other teachers here, and also have the pleasure of being president of the board. Um, so I am curious, because I know you've been, most of you have been coming for the last, for a long time, but how many people actually contributed to the uh, fund for the renovation? Great. So for those of you that haven't, <laughs> for those of you that did, thank you very much. And for those of you that haven't, we're almost at our goal. And if we go beyond the goal, that's okay too because, you know, there are little things that come up. Like for instance, today, uh, evidently when they were tearing down the other wall, they discovered a whole bunch of wires that they hadn't realized were there. So the electrician basically had to spend all day figuring out what was what, which we hadn't budgeted for. So little things like that, you know, and, and there will be more uh, of those coming along. So it doesn't matter what you give, what the really important point to us, one of the reasons we actually decided to do it as we did it was to just see how the community would step forward. And some people have stepped forward, you know, in surprising ways, and and a lot of people have stepped forward. I know, perhaps, uh, just giving what they could, and it wasn't the amount that was important to us. It was, you know, how much was given. I mean, the, the fact that you gave. Sorry, <laughs> Fre Freudian slip there. Um, so, uh, but we really appreciate it. Uh, and the fact that we were basically able to raise close to $16,000 in less than two weeks, you know, we're, we're pretty happy about that. So, um, and in about two weeks, it's going to be great. In the meantime, it's going to be a mess. So um, thank you for putting up with this. It's sort of like, I know there was an article in the Times recently about uh, cr dealing with crowds. You know, and, and how we sort of have our, our space, our personal space. And I find it really interesting just in practice to sort of, you know, work with space and this idea of what our space actually is. 
Um, and so when we, when we sit, you know, we take up space, right? And, but what's really happening in that moment is, is, is space making way for this body? <laughs> or is the body just part of the space? Um, and, you know, what are your own spatial boundaries like? Uh, and, and when do you realize that somebody is, quote, in your space? You know, so when we're really close like this, that aspect of our awareness and our, uh, uh, you know, the, the way we respond to somebody, quote, being in our space can get very interestingly tested. Um, and it's an opportunity to just sort of, oh, I didn't realize that was there. You know, I didn't realize I had this kind of moment where I feel like somebody's in my space. Um, so these are always, oppor- there's no opportunity that's not an opportunity for practice, including being in this confined space. Um, so. And I will now make uh, a couple of announcements about upcoming events. There's a lot coming up in April. Uh, Joseph Goldstein will be here next week. But before that, there's a retreat this weekend with uh, Lanny Miller and uh, Rosemary Blake called The Healing Gifts of Being with What Is, which is really what our practice is all about. Here comes the other group. Joseph will be here next Sunday, uh, next Saturday rather, for basically just the afternoon. I suspect that's sold out, but double check, and hopefully the space will be relatively done by then. (laughs) And actually then the the very next day, um, Kevin Griffin will be here. If you don't know Kevin, he's very much involved in the 12-step world, fantastic teacher, wonderful writer. Um, There are are two mindfulness-based stress reduction classes starting in the next couple of weeks, one with me starting in two weeks from Thursday with an orientation this Thursday, and uh, one with Elaine Rethel starting in the middle of April. Um, uh, Kinchino, who's a really wonderful teacher, will be here April 22nd and 23rd. Uh, If you've never experienced him, he's brilliant and funny and uh, intense. Um, Former monastic, now lives in, a Swiss monastic, now lives in uh, Cologne, Germany, but teaches very often at uh, IMS. Uh, Are there any men here? Because we're having a men's retreat at the end of April that Gary and myself, Gary Singer and myself, and uh, Joshua Alafia are co-leading. So um, we just started talking about it today. Um, I mean, planning it today. So uh, sign up. And um, sorry, I'm just waiting for Brian to join me because I don't want him to sort of come in in the middle of a question. Uh, and one other thing, just um, I know we are always asking for money. It's really uh, 
the sad, not a, it's not a sad thing, it's a wonderful thing because it's just always an opportunity to practice generosity. But as you all know, the center is supported by your generosity, not just for the renovations, but just to keep the place running, which costs us about $30,000 a month between salaries and rent. Uh, so uh, whatever you give tonight uh, through generosity is shared with the teachers and the center. And it's really interesting, you know, being a teacher who, whose partial support comes from generosity. Come on up, Brian. It's, um, it's like every time you sort of spend money on something, you consider that that, you know, came from someone else. And also the fact that, no, you're supposed to sit here. Okay. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. Thanks. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, when I give to the center or when I give to my teachers, you know, it's always coming from people that have worked with me. So it's a really interesting flow of exchange. Um, would it be that our whole economy could survive that way? So, hello, Brian. Those of you that don't know, this is Brian Simmons. Hi. Wonderful up-and-coming teacher here. And a wonderful English teacher, I hear, too. And, uh, I guess. You know. I don't know who told you. <laughs> uh, and so, since I only learned that Gina was going to be not here about three hours before we started tonight, um, we decided to keep the regular night with her as a night of inquiry. She will also be here next Tuesday, it turns out. So um, whatever doesn't get worked with tonight, we'll have an opportunity next week. Um, so, um, yeah, so anything that's come up for you in practice tonight or practice in general or any question about bringing practice into the rest of your life, which is, of course why we practice. Um, this is an opportunity to bring that to the fore and, and we'll work with it. Um, and trust me that whatever question you have, there is at least one other person in the room that will have the same question. So don't be, uh, don't hold back. So who would like to start? Yeah. Hold on, wait for the microphone and make sure you give us your name. Hi, I'm Francesco. Hi. Ooh, this one's up. Yeah. Okay, hi. Hi, ladies. Um, I usually do the Monday Sangha. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know, I guess this is sort of pertinent, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but I've been reading the Dhammapada, or I'm almost done with it. And um, one of the things that came up was <coughs> sort of, well, two things came up. One was the Buddha's last words were, strive earnestly before he died. And then I met this weekend with Kripalu Uttara Brock, and she's like, you're trying too hard. Stop striving. Just be compassionate to yourself. So, and this will, so I, that is a question, like how much is too much? And then the second question is, <coughs> with the Dhammapada, he says, you know, when he was alive and, you know, in his happy princely state, whatever, um, and then realized that a there was you know suffering through age and through sickness and through death and then he went <coughs> underwent his transformation um 
I'm just wondering, we seem to suffer here in the West a lot from self-hatred and from, you know, however you want to call that, shame and, you know, unworthiness and whatever other million titles. That seems to be sort of the thing. I know it's my, my main thing. And, you know, trying to get out of the way and move out of my own way into that space of, of love and uh, of compassion is the goal. But was that something that he dealt with or they dealt with or, or not? Because it seems like a lot of the great leaders that we have, whether it's, a, you know, a John F. Kennedy or, or the Buddha or Martin Luther King or even, you know, Nelson Mandela, they kind of come from these sort of princely states. And mm. I don't know that we've heard so much about, you know, oh, I was abused by my parents or, I, you know, so I don't know. Does that make any sense? Sure. I don't know if you can yeah, speak yeah, to any yeah. of that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Francesca. Um, I'll start with the last part first. I mean, I'm sure you've read about the night of the Buddha's enlightenment, right? And his visit from Mara, who was a constant visitor, actually. So, you know, Mara is, in a sense, that inner critic that we all have. Now, for some of us, we uh, carry around a very large baseball bat. Others, you know, we just have a little, a little bat, you know. But, but I think uh, we don't obviously know, you know, what the Buddha went through directly when he was in his princely state. Um, but certainly, you know, I, we, I think we can assume that his being human that the dukkha that he is, you know, constantly, that the teaching is really based on, this idea of dukkha came up for him in multifarious ways. And, um, you know, whether it was like, oh my God, why did I start this whole thing in the first place? I've got, you know, these thousands of monks around me, you know, complaining the whole time. You know, so I'm sure there was a lot of questions in his mind and, you know, but what he taught was not about not having the questions and not having the inner critic, but rather how we deal with that inner critic, right? Because that inner critic is going to be there. And, and Mara was constantly visiting him and questioning him. And he invited Mara in for tea, basically, which is, I'm sure, what Tara Brock probably talked about if you were with her, um, you know, this idea of inviting Mara in for tea. Um, and it's very counterintuitive, of course. Um, but, you know, so when your inner critic arises, what happens for you? How does your inner critic arise? Yeah, I'm asking you. Yeah. Sorry, I just kind of, okay, thanks. Right, so this is, like, I talked in yesterday in our sangha, like, you know, I ate the brownie, and I'm not supposed to eat the brownie because I'm not supposed to be having sugar, but I was right. at Kripalu, and they were vegan, and I was, <laughs> you know. And then, oh, I'm gaining weight, and I can't do yoga anymore because I'm screwing up my arm, and you know, like. Right. So the inner critic just, it can start with anything, and then it snowballs, and then I get it to the point of, it's not what you do or how I'm relating to what happened, even if it's an external thing. It's that all of a sudden, once again, boom, I'm a bad person. Right. And that isn't the thing. But I never thought about Mara being the idea of self-hate. 
because I always saw it as separate and outside. But self, if I envision it right. that way, that's different. Yeah, so it's Mara is, is not necessarily self-hate, but Mara is the kind of inner critic, the, the doubt. You know, what gives you the right to do X? In the case of the Buddha, you know, what, what claim do you have to being awakened, to having the right to be awakened? What claim? So, you know, that's th- that self-doubt, the doubt that arises within us. Now, in the case of judgment arising, right, for you, it's like, ah, it's just, it's judgment arising, right? The, the hatred arising with that judgment is what we want to work with, right? So there's the judgment, there's the recognition of the judgment. It's like, okay, it's that, you know, I see that. Okay, now how do we want to work with that? Do we want to work with it from this place of aversion and and ill will and hatred? Is that helpful? Or would it be more interesting to say, ah, okay, there it is, you know? What are my other options of working with this? Yeah? And so... The, the desire arises to have the vegan brownie because it's vegan, right? So the vegan, veganness is, in a way, a rationalization, right? Because you, you wouldn't have had it otherwise, right? But, oh, it's vegan. I think I can have it, right? So we notice the rationalization. It's like the moment a rationalization arises, it's like justifying the dukkha. And actually, it's an opportunity for investigating the dukkha right there. Ah, okay. Oh, that's interesting. I'm trying to make an excuse to have this, even though I really don't need it. <laughs> you know, what, what's that arising from? You know, what else is going on here? And actually what's happening in that moment, as you start investigating it, the desire is likely to sort of fade away because there's the curiosity around what's really going on. Um, but it, it's really in those moments, right, where we sort of feel the rationalization arising that we need to look at and just explore and say, oh, what's really happening here? Um, But as the, what I'm hearing is that the judgment is creating and the rationalization, well, the judgment is creating aversion and hatred toward yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, it can happen that way or there can be that whole idea of, Oh, judgment, judgment, thinking, thinking, I'm okay, it's okay, I'm accepting myself anyway, I can choose to have the brownie and it's fine, but then it's all thinking, thinking. Right, so there's no investigation, there's no curiosity, right? So there's, you know, uh, since you said you were just with Tara Brock, who constantly talks about rain, right? There's the recognition of what's going on, there's the acceptance of what's going on, so the recognition, there's the suffering, uh, there's the, the judgment, Right? There's the acceptance. Oh, okay, so there's judgment. What else is going on? Oh, that's interesting. You know, this just happened. What else is happening? You know, what's, wh- where's the dukkha here? What's creating this, this, this tension? You know? And that's an opportunity for investigation. I think I should be, I have this, there's an image arising of myself as some, something, right? Or, um, It's my constant desire. There's a constant desire for sugar. Do I need that sugar? Probably not. What happens? What else is happening in the body at that moment? So it's that. And there's your identification with, oh, I should be this way. 
I shouldn't be this way, I should be this way. You know, so there's all sorts of stuff going on there, which is an opportunity for, 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 um, for really gaining insight to see you know, where this is all arising from. So, uh, and in a sense, you know, when, whenever Mara arises in whatever form Mara arises in, it's an opportunity for that, for that investigation. Um, our habit of mind is to think we're bad for feeling a certain way or for being a certain way, yeah? And then we get roped into that. So we're trying to look at that habit and say, is that helpful? No, but what might be helpful is actually exploring what's really going on. And in that moment of exploring what really shifts. Uh, so just play with that. Um, but, you know, I guess to answer the very first part of that question, I, can, I, I think we can, we can assume that the Buddha had plenty of, of self-doubt, you know, up to a certain point. But he recognized the self-doubt simply as that. And he didn't act from that self-doubt. He didn't let the self-doubt... Uh, he didn't identify with the self-doubt, and he didn't let the self-doubt sort of take over his personality um, and act from that place. So he would have just, you know, I, I imagine, I mean, I don't, who knows, right? But one can assume from his teachings that he would have simply recognized it and said, oh, okay, I see you. What's next? <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, of course, you know, in Western society, we have all this body image stuff that we identify with. And, and um, I mean, I don't know if it's just Western society anymore, but, you know, we, we, we have these body images that we want to maintain or keep, whether we're male or female. And, you know, that's creating a certain level of suffering, of course, right? Um, and, of course, we want to take care of ourselves, and that's important, too. And so, you know, the, all of these factors enter into our choices. Um, but if we're acting from that place of self-judgment and self-doubt, then we're not necessarily acting in a way that's very helpful. Or that we're, we're letting the self-doubt sort of uh, fog up our lens you know, of, inve of investigation. Um, I'll let you answer the question on effor efforting. That was a while ago now. So if I recall the question, it was about how much is too much? Yeah, so yeah. Then it, then it becomes what you do in your professional life. And so I was saying to her that it just gets exhausting, all of this stuff about trying to piece it all together and doing the inquiry, for example, and she was saying, chill out, basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. So to relax is always a good ingredient to any kind of inquiry or dealing with anything. Um, part of the question, though, the sense that I got from it, maybe not necessarily the words that you used, was that is, is there basically like a, there seems to be a contradiction in teachings that you're hearing. So in this tradition, there's a, teach, a teacher, Ajahn Chah, 
who, so one of his students went up to him at a certain point and said, I hear you giving this person this piece of advice, and then the next day you give somebody else a complete opposite advice. Like, what's going on here? It doesn't make any sense to me. I can't follow what you're saying. And he said, if I see someone about to fall into a ditch on the left, I say go right. <laughs> if I see someone about to go in a ditch on the left or, or the right, I say go left. So um, sometimes what we want on the path is we want just an easy, simple, formulaic answer to every problem. But what John was saying before about this inquiry is very much part of efforting in, in what's right. And a lot of times we don't know what right effort is until we've gone too far, we've, we've exerted too much effort. Um, or we haven't exerted enough and we've gotten too slack. So really the mindfulness and looking at what's appropriate, what kind of results do we get when we practice in a tense way or just in a completely loose way. So it's a matter of trial and error and being in the moment and seeing what kind of results you get. So. There's one other thing I'll add in terms of, of effort. Uh, this comes from Rodney Smith, actually. Um, so those of you that have studied with me before, I've heard, you know, we've talked about this. So he, he talks about the four R's. So the first R is relax, right? But what he means by relax is basically saying yes to life, you know? Yes to what is, letting life, life be. Um, the the uh, second R is um, release, release or relinquish rather, which is relinquishing the need to control and relinquishing, yeah, relinquishing the need to control things. The third is re release in a way which is releasing ourselves from our own story, the stories that we tell ourselves. And the fourth is rejoin. So what you're then doing is sort of rejoining your life after having done those three things. Um, so, you know, this idea of relaxing into life, right, which doesn't mean, oh, well, then I can just go out and eat anything I want, right? Because there's still a certain area, level of discernment. But it's relaxing into life. It's, it's also sort of relinquishing those things that we identify with so strongly. So yes, you have a profession, right? And, and your profession requires certain things, stupidly, probably, right? I mean, you know, because it doesn't necessarily require the same thing from the men in your profession, just the women, right? But that's another issue <laughs> um, that the Buddha would not have been relating to, obviously. Uh, so, you know, but can we sort of, mo at least for a moment, let go of this story that, oh, well, this is who I am. I have to maintain this because of this, yeah? And what happens when we do that? And then, and then you know, sort of releasing, uh, well, that, that's the really, releasing this need to control everything, to be in control of everything, uh, and then rejoining with that place you know, with, with, with the rest of your life, you know, having done that. So just playing with that aspect of things. So this striving, you know, strive diligently, I mean, who knows what he really said, right? I mean, it's poetic and it's the Dhammapada and, you know, 
They had to make it sound good, you know, it needed a Hollywood ending. We don't know what he really said, you know, and who was, and as Brian said, we don't know who was there when he said it, you know, he's talking to his monks, you know. So um, let's take that word striving a little lightly. Yeah, strive, you know, so here's the path, stay on the path, you know, in a relaxed way and, uh, but not too relaxed. Okay. Thanks, though. Next. Come on, don't be fearful. She put herself on the line there. <laughs> yeah, Ingrid. Mike, please. Um, yeah, this is, I was hesitant to talk because this is hard to put. Um, and I realized I could explain a little, my question a little more. If I remembered something, if I uh, told you something I had remembered a while ago, <coughs> when someone, uh, I was talking with someone about myself when I was 18 or something like that. And I um, was talking how awkward I had felt. I had uh, grown up in really strange and difficult circumstances. And, and all of a sudden, and, and I remembered myself and how um, difficult I found social situations and contacts and my view of myself and how I it was really fragmented. And all of a sudden, I was filled with love for myself at that time. And it was almost as if I, I saw myself. I knew, I remembered how good-hearted I was and how hard I was trying to do the right thing and be the right thing and whatnot. And I just felt this incredible love as, as if I was perfect. Uh, you know, uh, the way when you really love someone at the moment of your love, it's just like they're perfect because you love them so much. And so I was listening to the lady who was talking and thinking how difficult it was because you, it's like you're broken and you're fixing things all the time. And if you fix one broken thing, then another flaw appears. And there's, it's like there's no end of it. So I was wondering, could you address uh, perhaps approaching yourself from the other end. Because I thought to myself, we're all Buddhas here. And we're, you know, I'm surrounded by these really extraordinary people. Um, and when you, if you're starting from that. From the other end being, right, so the other end is, that you're it's not okay. The other, the, well, as, or to qu quote Suzuki Roshi, we're all perfect. 
We just need a little improvement, <laughs> right? That's all. Um, so what you're, is, if, if I understand what you're saying, is that at some point, you know, you had this view of yourself when you were 18, you know, that was quite, uh, that you weren't really happy with until you actually looked at it and realized what a good person you were when you were 18? Um, just really lovable. Yeah. Uh, you know, that... Um, but how does that, so that's... So, uh, so it, when each of us is sitting there mm -hmm. um, trying to fix, fix it, <laughs> you know, so that we do this, remembering uh, perhaps ourselves and uh, when you think of yourself as that, you know, you're, uh, sure. we're all still trying... <laughs> so hard yeah. to be really good people and mm -hmm. effective people and and we are so and if you start from that then it all dissolves and you can you forgive yourself you just say sure oh i say oh ingrid <laughs> yeah. you know instead of oh god you bad inadequate right incompetent person right so, uh, but so there's nothing to address. What? Well, you, we, there's really nothing to address. What you're saying is absolutely true. Yeah. And, right, so... But how to when, get there? Yeah, so, you know, we forget, right? I was just talking to somebody this morning about this, another teacher from another tradition, and, and uh, when we do loving-kindness practice, right, we're used to doing it in stages, right? So there's, yeah, yeah. you know, ourselves, the dear friend, the neutral person, and the difficult person. But each of those people, each of those classifications, of course, is also within all of us, right? Yeah. There's the part of ourselves that we really love. There's the part of ourselves that we're not so sure about. And there's the part of ourselves that we really have difficulty with. You know, can we, but can we have loving kindness for all of those aspects of ourselves? Because they're all constantly changing anyway, right? Those things that we love about ourselves today, we might actually hate about ourselves tomorrow. But can we, can we actually still love all of, all of those parts of ourselves? You know, so it's, it's this kind of opening up to everything that we are. Um, and if it's helpful, as you've discovered, to sort of recall, and it's part of loving-kindness practices to recall those aspects of yourself that you really love and that are really wonderful and that other people love, you know? And we often forget those things, you know, because of that self-judgment that comes up, which is what you're saying. Yeah. I didn't, I'm not sure what I'm saying. I just... I just That's what I heard you saying. Let's yeah, put it that way. Okay. You know, I just felt what the lady behind me Francesca, said was yeah. so hard. And it's always hard. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I addressing it from yeah. yourself yeah. being basically okay. Uh, but it's not as easy as my saying it. I, that's why I right. wanted yeah. you would. Well, so, and I, but love, I think that loving kindness yeah. thing might be good. 
But, you know, if, if we always remember when we're practicing loving kindness, and I know a lot of teachers do it different ways, but, you know, so y- you can bring that image of yourself that you really love to mind first. Those aspects of yourself that you really love, you know, and that other people love. Um, and that's the place to start. And, and that's, th- that's, that's how that, you know, what you're talking about is, is um, generated. Yeah? Steve, it's much yeah. better than what I said. N- no. <laughs> no, but thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, s- sorry. Since the mic is closer, and then we'll come back to you. Okay. Hi. Julia. Um, I guess my question is, you know, we talk about self, non-self a lot. And um, what I think I just heard both of these people say are two ends of the spectrum, the self-love and the self-hate. And, and then there's this, this middle way, this middle path of this understanding that, you know, who I was um, six hours ago, six days ago, six months ago, those are all very transient things. Mm-hmm. Um, so in loving or hating myself, I feel like I'm clinging to some sort of identity of who I am when I know that it's not permanent. It's subject to change. Right. That doesn't keep Mara from not you know, from entering the picture and, and, you know, that, so Mara still enters the picture uh, and yes, you're going to change in 10 minutes, you know, is the part of yourself that is being, sel- is, is, is Mara that's being self-critical in that moment going to be there in 10 minutes? Probably not, unless, what, unless you feed it, right? So how do you feed Mara? And say, oh yeah, there you are. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I shouldn't be doing this, right? I should be doing this other thing instead. Um, so, um, and, right? We we we're still human. And yes, you know, we may start to feel. Uh, feel that boundary between self and other. Uh, lesson. Um, you know, we may start to, to really see how clinging to self is creating our suffering. And yet we're still human and we still have self-doubt that arises and we still have emotions that arise in, in relationship to that. But this, as I was saying about the four R's, you know, can we relax with that and if we recognize them for what they are, which are these passing emotions, these passing phenomena. Um, and, you know, we, as a result of our uh, clinging to self, we also have many, many, many ingrained habits that aren't necessarily helpful. You know, so, you know, through practice and through mindfulness, we start to see those habits clearly, more clearly, and things start to change. Um, and we start to see, oh yeah, that's what that was. You know, it was my it was my idea of who I should be that was creating the suffering, as opposed to who what's here right now, which I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so it's both and, really. Yeah. So you know, when you find yourself dealing with 
self-doubt and as a result maybe some self-hatred, how does your idea, quote, of non-self play into that? That's a question. <laughs> the question. <laughs> when you find yourself, you know, taken over by self-doubt and as a result it's maybe some self-hatred, what happens? Where does your idea of non-self play into that? How does that work for you? It's, it's something that I'm, I'm working with. Uh, I try very, very hard to, you know, just come back to the present moment mm -hmm. and realize that, you know, very, very helpful these days. This is how it is right now. Okay, this, this is, is how, how it is right now. This is how I am right now. Okay. Uh, this is how it is right now. And I say that to myself enough times until I get it. And, and then I can be like, okay, this is not permanent. You know, so if it's a moment of, you know, I'm being self-critical or maybe critical of someone else or I'm in a work situation and I feel like I need to, you know, somebody's doing something that I need to judge whatever it is that's happening or what they're doing or saying or maybe how they're interacting with me. I can stop and just be like, this is how it is right now. It doesn't mean that this is how it's going to be tomorrow. Um, so that, that's kind of how I work with it. This is how it is right now. Right. This is how I am right now. And just like you said with the rain, just recognizing, accepting, investigating, and then letting it go. Uh, the the non-judgment, non-clinging. Yeah, and how does that work? It's working. Sometimes it does. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. You sure? Okay. Yeah. Is there more? I, I sense there's more to the yeah. question. Is my sense, um, and I'm just going by your body language. Is, th is there more that, that you want to ask about this? Do you feel that you've gotten? I've heard the term before, and I. I which term? Um, samadhi. Okay. Uh, it's the term for open awareness. For. It's a term for for tranquility. Yeah. Tranquility. Um, Which may come from open awareness. It may come from awareness of breath. It can come from it. Can just come from loving kindness. No, sometimes I feel like I go back and forth between being awake and going back to sleep. Yeah. Well, like join the, join the human race. <laughs> yeah, and you know the the but but and I should say, I suspect that what's happening. The moment you know that you're asleep, you're awake. You wake up, right? And this is why we practice, right? So the going to sleep wakes us up. And, you know, it's, it's recognizing that you're asleep, which is the practice. Right? So that's great, right? And, and, you know, more and more we're awake, hopefully. You know, but then there are those days when we're definitely not. Um, and and the, the tragic twist in that is that... Uh, Francesca's question before about this self-doubt, precisely at that moment when we become awake is when we tend to beat ourselves up. <laughs> I was just, oh my God, I can't do this. It's five minutes, 10 minutes. I, I'm no good at this. this is Everyone in the room can do it, but me, I can't do it. This is terrible. But that's a moment to be celebrated and it was just squandered. 
away in that instant. So it's, what I find is helpful for me is in that moment, as soon as I find that I've been lost, it's okay, let's take a moment and not only celebrate it with maybe a, a nice, big, comfortable breath, but just, okay, let's investigate what it feels like right now because this is what awake feels like. It's so infrequent that, I, that I'm awake. Let's feel what it, it's like right now. And what I've noticed in, over the trajectory of my practice is that the more I come in contact with what it feels like to be awake, the stretches grow. Hmm. But normally, it's just to, we're, we're awake, we realize we're gone, and then we're off into some dream. But it's really, it's got a negative undertone to it. There's a tremendous judgment and doubt in all of this. So it's, it's just a good thing to, to put the awareness on. It's that, that moment. It's a key moment. Hmm. We're probably going to have time for one more, depending on the question or the answer. Um, my question is on the technique of loving-kindness practice. I found that um, when I've sat and done guided um, meta practice, and you say call to mind uh, various categories, um, so, for example, a benefactor, not one person shows up, but my mind starts going to, okay, mm -hmm. here's the aunt, here's the cat, here's the mentor, here's the teacher. And so I'm not sticking with one person in each category. And Sharon Salzberg was here this weekend, and she spoke about it, had, that it's supposed to be a concentration practice. And I said, oh, because I was perfectly fine with you know, various people showing up. I said, oh, I might be doing this wrong. Maybe the goal is to concentrate on one person and find a connection with them. So that's the thrust of my question. Mm. So personally, my loving kindness practice has changed considerably since I started practice, and it's uh, this related to what Brian said about Ajahn Chah's teaching about left, you know, that everybody works with it differently. Um, it's, it's a concentration practice as well as an insight practice. So, um, and in, in uh, Analio's recent book, Biku Analio's recent book, Com Compassion and Emptiness, um, he talks about it as you know, loving kindness is a very effective way of reaching, of achieving samadhi, of achieving this tranquility as a concentration practice, but he also relates it to, say, medicinal tea, right? So you have tea, but it has this extra medicinal quality of loving kindness, you know, so that it, 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 it does both. It, it, it can achieve both tranquility and, um, and open the heart. Um, and I tend not, to, personally, I tend not to use the categories as much anymore, that, you know, but just because that's a later teaching anyway. The whole idea of the categories came about 500 years after the teaching. It, it, it appears in the Vasudhimaga. And before that, the Buddha just spoke of sort of generalized categories. And, I mean, the parents and, you know, but, but it was much more about radiating this loving kindness. And whatever it needs, whatever one needs to sort of achieve that radiation. 
Now, it is also helpful to, you know, select a category and a person and sort of choose to sort of just be with that person as a concentration practice and stick with that person. What I'm hearing in your question, though, and, and it's not uncommon, it's like, oh, should I choose this benefactor or that benefactor? Should I choose this friend or that friend? Should I choose this difficult person or that difficult person? Uh, oh, you know, I've, I've done enough on this difficult person. Let me try for 10 minutes on this other difficult person. You know? oh, and then there, oh, and then there's Donald Trump. You know, I mean, so it's, it's like, where do you stop? And, um, there. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So, uh, yeah, so I think it's just, um, you need to find what works for you. Um, and you might just work with all beings and, and not even worry about the, the class, the, the uh, various stages and just sort of offer loving kindness for all beings and just allow, if the phrases are helpful, use the phrases. If, uh, it, if an image is helpful, use the image. Um, if just the notion of this radiating of kindness is helpful, use that. Um, and just sort of, uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll guide a practice in a moment that, that might be helpful. I've guided it in here before. That it's, it, it really works for me, and maybe it works for others. I don't know. But um, which doesn't involve that, the, the classifications. And... Um, and as I said before, you know, the, these four categories of people are all within us anyway. Um, and uh, there was a discussion here a couple months ago when uh, Andy Olensky was here about the notion that in terms of, you know, sort of directing it toward oneself, it's n that's actually not part of the teaching at all, um, even though we say it is. You know, I, I, I think it's always said, well, the Buddha said there's nobody more important than this world. And, you know, and I'm not sure he actually said that. You know, I have to ask a friend Bodhipaksha about that, who does, you know, did the Buddha really say this website? Um, so it's, you know, it's a question mark, you know, and it's not about, it, you know, it, it's, it's again, it's related to this opening of the heart and the quality of the heart opening. And, you know, can you be with that? You know, so I is it possible just to sort of rest in that? In the, uh, in the open heart um, and see what happens. I'm listening to some of these questions and there's a commonality and, and we all <laughs> fall into the same Ajahn Chah ditch here, which is that these questions at a certain level can be skillful and they can also be an attachment. And it's really, a, it's good to bring uh, an investigative awareness to what's behind the question. Um, and there's a, a teacher, um, Utejaniya, Sayadaw Utejaniya. And uh, this question has been enormously helpful in my practice, which is what is the attitude behind the mind right now? So even prior to asking any kind of question, it's good to, to just feel the energy and say, what is the attitude behind this question? Is there a need to know that's being clung to? Of course, it's skillful to investigate into any number of questions and say, what is the right way? Is there a right way? Should I be concerned with finding the right way?
but also observing when there's a quality of attention where we're holding on to it. This isn't right. I need to know. If I send it to my neighbor but not my friend, then this is wrong and I'm not doing it. That kind of thing. Be, uh, for two reasons. One, because we know, uh, you know, the second noble truth is that when we cling, we suffer. Clinging is suffering. But also because sometimes the obvious answer can uh, escape us. And it's, I think what John is pointing towards is that really the, how I interpret this method teaching, it's this emanation from the heart. It's cultivating this good feeling. Mm -hmm. And if we're so bound up in the rules of it, I think we're going to miss the forest for the trees and not really um, achieve uh, what the teaching is pointing towards. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's my take on it. We have no rules, <laughs> right. but we make them up in our mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Thank you. So I said that we were going to end early. Um, Greg, are you here? Right here. Oh, good. So um, we could use a few strong men after we close anybody is willing to help move a few things around and we also really need your support in, in putting the chairs are we putting the chairs in the small room or what are we doing no we're putting them right there in front of the couch in the front of the couch okay but i will let's let's close with a loving kindness practice that, that maybe we'll incorporate a number of these questions as they are so just settling back into the chair settling back into your body and really recalling everything that is good about yourself and ways in which you've treated yourself well, and ways in which you've treated others well, and others have treated you well. And allow that feeling to really come into the heart space and expand from the heart space into the whole body, from head to toe. And expand beyond this body in all directions. And recognizing that as it's expanding in all directions from you, it's expanding and radiating in all directions from those around you. So it's sending and receiving these elements that hold together and make up this thing we call our body are really pretty insubstantial. They seem substantial, but they're pretty insubstantial. So this radiating love is just radiating. Connecting out all beings May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Free from fear and the causes of fear. May all beings be free and may all beings find peace. May the merit gained from our practice this evening and our practice throughout the week be shared for the well-being of all without exception.
So thank you all for your attention and your silence and your questions. And thank you, Brian. Thank you. And your generosity. And thank you for helping put things away. And uh, yeah, so if Greg has his hand raised, if a few guys can sort of help him, that would be great. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.